Well, good evening. Let's try it again. Good evening. There you are. Our theme for this evening is words. What's in a word? I, um, I was at, I think it was Target or one of those stores the other day, and a, and a little kid. You know, if, if you're a parent of a little one and they're so cute when they're small, and then they get to like two, and this little boy just fell down on the floor and just threw a tantrum. You know, and, and they say different parenting rules, you know, just ignore them. But it's hard to ignore them when all of aisle three is looking at them and stuff like that. And, and uh, the mother said, Johnny, don't do that. Stand up and use your words. That's, I, I know what you're communicating. You're really ticked, but that doesn't help me. It doesn't show me why. And when you use words, it articulates things. Words express personality. Paul says of his God, I don't, I don't follow dumb idols. He was filled, his culture was full of idols. And he said, those idols can't speak, but I follow the speaking God. Words express personality. Words express who I am, what I think, what I feel. The tone expresses things. You know, I don't, I don't shout when I get upset. At home, at least I, I can't remember shouting. But Ruthie says, "I have a tone." Any of you have a tone? I'm just tossing that out there. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. I'm just saying, okay? And you can use the same words with a different tone, and they mean the opposite things. Like I can look at and say, "I love you," that says one thing. And if I look at you and say, "Well, I love you," totally different phrase. The timbre of your voice, you can tell over time, you can understand by the, by the voice who it is. Babies, I understand, even in the womb, and they, can, they get their mother's voice because they've been hearing it in some way over those months. Years ago, a lot of years ago, I had a radio program for 10 minutes, for nine years, for 10 minutes every Saturday morning on a CBS affiliate in Urbana, Illinois. It was called Wake Up and Live. And it was designed to bug pagans. And it was, it was right between Sports Scoreboard at 8.35 and Charles Osgood's Newsbreak. Some of you older folks know who Charles Osgood is. And, uh, and so I was on this program all the time. And it was back in the day when you had telephones that sat on your desk and you had to go through an operator to do a long-distance call. How many are old enough to remember going through an operator for a long-distance call? And so one day I'm calling California and the operator says, um, I really like your radio program. I said, how, how do you know I have a radio program? She said, you're Dick Foth, aren't you? I said, well, yes. I said, how did, you, how did you know that? She said, I could tell by your voice. Voice and speech communicate. Volume and intensity communicate. What do you think God sounds like? See, I, I grew up in a church where a lot of times God sounded like this. Now, some of you grew up in a church where God sounded like this. But is it possible he just sounds like this? Like, just like this. I mean, did you know he spoke Chinese? And Spanish, and Tagalog, and German. He is the speaking God. And words have inflection, and rhythm, 
and rhyme. Some of you, again, would remember this. Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. Jack, jump over the candlestick. Mary had a little lamb. Lease was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, yeah, see, we, we, you remember words because they rhyme or they have rhythm or they're connected to something. We have words from our childhood that connects to things. Just, just for fun, let's just take a couple of minutes. And uh, if you have folks at your table, just take 30 seconds apiece and do this. Can you remember your name, not your regular name, but a nickname you had when you were a kid? My mother, I hate to confess this, my mother quite often called me Snickle Fritz. Now, don't, don't even ask, but I'm just telling you that's what she said. So why don't you just take a couple of minutes and turn to your table or people near you. You don't have to do this. You may not have had a nickname, so you can take a pass. But if you, have, if you had a nickname, just tell those folks what it was. If it's a terrible name, don't embarrass yourself. So. Okay, that's enough. Clearly you're having too much fun. Let's cut that out. Here we go. Some of us are more wordy than others. Some of us find out what we're, what we're thinking even as we speak. Our eldest daughter told me one day, Dad, I think you like the feel of words in your mouth. <laughs> I think so. Maybe it's all those years of stuttering when I couldn't get them out. So now I just like rolling them around in there or something. So... That being the context, why would John, the gospel writer, start his story this way? John 1.1 reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Both the Jews and the Greeks who were listening to him would understand that idea. For the Jews, it was looking back to the Old Testament where the Word of God is associated with the personality of God. The Word of the Lord came to so-and-so. It's associated with who God is. For the Greeks, the term logos, from which we get logical, was used to describe the agency by which God created things. So in the Greek worldview, the Logos was thought as a bridge between this God and a material world. It was a bridge. It was a communicative, communicative divide, device. John Piper says this about why word. Why did he choose to call Jesus the word? John calls Jesus the word because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God and the person of Jesus as the truth of God in such a unified way that Jesus coming and working and teaching and dying and rising 
was the final and decisive message of God. That what he did and how he spoke were together. They were one. They expressed the same thing. We call that congruency. They were congruent. We know what incongruence is a lot of times. You know, you walk in, sir, you walk in, it's been a hard day on your wife, and you don't know that. And, and she's in there in the kitchen. You walk in, and she's doing something with the pots and pans. You say, how are you doing, honey? She says, fine, and she's banging pots and pans. That's called incongruent, okay? Those don't match. But Jesus comes, and his deeds match his words. His tone matches his message. His heart is expressed in how he treats people, and it's all one thing, and it's expressed in this, this decisive message of God. God messages us, he texts us, he emails us, and he puts skin on it, and his name is Jesus. He comes in this totality. So when he says, in the beginning was the word, the communication of who God is to us, that's where it's captured. You get down to verse 14 in John 1, and it says it this way. The Word became flesh and camped with us, dwelled with us. That it's not just that God's an idea out there somewhere, or His Spirit out there floating around, but in fact, He puts skin on and comes to express Himself that way. Now, it isn't that He didn't use words. He, Jesus used a lot of words. But they were congruent, weren't they? They were together with him. If the gospel was just words, if it wasn't embodied, all that God would have had to do was to write Jesus saves in the northern lights and let it flash for 2,000 years. And we'd say, well, that's cool. Let's take that around the world. That's a good idea. Let's do that. But because words alone don't always get it, we need actions to go with the words. The word becomes flesh. And dwells among us. He's the full expression of God. Now it's interesting because we talk in the Old Testament. It says the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. It's a special message came to him. When we talk about the word of God. We talk about this book. But this is the written word of God. This is not the word of God Jesus with skin on him. That lived 2,000 years ago. This is the written word of God. I have a friend Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee says things are not right. Because they're in the Bible. Can I say that again? Things are not right because they're in the Bible. Because they're right, they're in the Bible. If this had never been written, God's truth would still be true. There have been, there have been cultures where they burned all the Bibles they could find. And his truth still stood because it was written on the hearts of men. The word of God was inside This idea that Jesus is the full expression of God captures the heart of word, the heart of communication. This is Jesus here. The word. Top of the triangle, the apex of the triangle. I know you uniquely through your words. 
you have certain phrases. I mean, I don't know you personally necessarily, but you are known uniquely through your words. You have certain phrases you use or a certain way of saying things. You capture certain ideas with certain phrases, and people can tell it's you. So I know you that way. And there are two ways. There are lots of ways words are used. We use gazillion words a year, okay? But one of the ways words are used is as weapons. Words used as weapons. Listen to how it reads. In Matthew, excuse me, in James, the third chapter, this is James talking about what he considers like the biggest problem that human beings have in terms of how they control their lives. When you read this word, when you read the pastoral epistles, particularly those letters in the back, it isn't talking about controlling our circumstances because a lot of times it's hard to control your circumstances. There's, not, there's really not very much I can control, but it talks about controlling myself. But listen to what he says when he talks about the tongue. Verse 2 of chapter 3 of James. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He uses the metaphor of the bit pressing on the horse's tongue. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. This is a little rudder compared to the size of the ship, and it guides the whole ship. How great so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. This is, this is like strong language here. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now that's pretty strong talk. You say, boy, I wish you sort of wouldn't had to read that part. You know, you could have said a lot of stuff without reading that. But the fact is, Words come from the five and a half inches between our ears. How I think about something, how I feel about something, how I see something is how I express myself. How many of us guys have said stuff and we said, man, I wish I could get that back. You know, I just I wish I could do that. But think about it. And, and it's it's a challenge between men and women anyway, because guys tend to speak what they think. Women, not always, but often tend to speak what they feel. And you, that doesn't mean that guys don't have feelings and women don't have thoughts. Quite the opposite. But the fact is, the way we generally speak is that way. And so oftentimes in a male-female relationship, you do this. You sort of overshoot. I used to tell people in premarital counseling, now, now sometime along in that marriage, you're going to get into a, a tiff or a snit or a fight or a 
Christian discussion, whatever you want to call it. You're going to get into one of those, and, and you're going to say stuff. It's going to get a little hot, and you're going to say stuff, and, and he's going to read it his way, which she's saying this stuff that she's felt deeply for, like, quite a while, and she's saying this stuff, and he thinks she just thought of it. So he just says, yeah, okay, good. And then he says stuff that, that she thinks he's felt for like nine or ten months, and it's just coming out now in the heat of the moment. And he actually thought it was just a good defensive phrase that he thought up 20 seconds ago, and she's crushed. And, you know, so we have this communication thing going like this. But quite apart from that, when we use words as weapons, there's a popular, there's a popular um, slangish term that's used today. In culture, and it's called dissing. How about this? Weapons cause dis-ease or disconnection or disgrace or they disable people or you get disrespected or disengaged or dissembled or if it's really tough, you get disemboweled. Dissing, that's what weapons do. I was brought up in a British boarding school as a little kid. Some of you know that. And they used to have a saying. It's the old British stiff upper lip deal, you know. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words will never. How many of you believe that? You know, that's, a, that's like a total lie. Sticks and stones will break my bones, and those will heal, but the words you use, I have a harder time with those. Those like can go on for a long time. I used to keep under the glass on my desk at Bethany College when I was president of the school a poem, a piece of prose by Carl Sandburg called Primer Lesson, Basic Lesson. And this is how it reads. Look out how you use proud words. When you let proud words go... It's not easy to call them back. They wear long boots, hard boots. They walk off proud. They can't hear you calling. You can't get them back. Watch out how you use proud words. We tend to use proud words when we're defending ourselves. When we feel like we've been dissed in some way, we come back. Because whatever you give tends to come back plus a little. That's how that works, right? There's no place probably worse than high school for be people being catty or teasing or cutting down. or I mean, you know, it's this social mix that just makes you crazy. I'm lucky. We're lucky that anybody survives high school with all this, this stuff going on. And out on the West Coast and maybe other places, a couple came up with a thing called Challenge Day where they involve young people in, in groups to help them understand what it feels like to be dissed, if you will. This is Yuba City High School, public high school in Yuba City, California, near Sacramento. Just watch this. Once again, the way this activity works is we're going to call out different groupings. If a grouping we call applies to you, you'll cross over the line, go as far as you can without sitting in the chairs on the other side. Then we want you to breathe. Notice how it feels to cross the line. Because every time you step across this line, you're going to step into a group that has less privilege, less power, and can sometimes be abused physically or emotionally simply for being who they are. 
Please cross the line if you've ever felt hurt or judged because of the color of your skin. And please cross the line if you've ever been teased or hurt because somebody thought you were fat or too big. Where did we learn to judge people's bodies? Where did we learn to be so mean? Please cross the line if you've ever been humiliated in a classroom by a teacher or a student. Make me thin, I'll make me tall I'll make me everything I'm not So I can be all that they want And please cross the line if you've ever been teased or hurt for wearing glasses, braces, a hearing aid, for the way that you talked, for the clothes that you wore, or for the shape, size, or the appearance of your body. I don't want to be loved, don't want to be trapped, don't want to be opening their eyes and seeing that they're not alone in some things. They started seeing through somebody else's eyes. I came here today thinking that it was just a way to get out of a day of school. And being here showed me that there's a lot more to it and that there's a lot more to the people at our school. Right now, I don't feel like more of us than anybody here in our profession has felt that you know, I thought that a lot of people weren't going to get up, you know, just kind of be like, hey, you know, I like Challenge Day, whatever. That a lot of people, you know, got in depth and got what was ever on their chest, you know, out. I see you and I see me and I don't see too much difference, man. As a matter of fact, we wear the same pants and the same shoes. Only difference is that in our left pocket, there's a different color rag. I'm tired of seeing that, man. We're seeing it, I stop. And I want this to stop, man. Ugh, I don't even know what to say. That was a little scary. I didn't think that the kids would respond at all to it or that it would make a difference, but they proved me wrong. I know I got picked on. I took it out on other people. One of them was Franklin. 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 And I've done it myself, and I'm sorry for it. I did not truly understand the power of words until I came here. And I am truly sorry to the millions of people that I picked on. Unbelievable amount. I didn't even realize until today. I messed with you since freshman year, and we're, we're yeah, Franklin. Oh God. I am truly embarrassed and deeply sorry for it, man. I think my teasing days are done.
Even the adults need to apologize, including the assistant principal, who's also a parent. I've always uh, prided myself in being able to uh, be the strong one. And I stand here in front of all of you, um, sharing my weaknesses here. One of the two best days of my life was June 23rd, 1983. And on that day, I was blessed with a beautiful son. And I thought I was going to be the best hard mom. And um, I have found that I've done a lot of things to cause him pain in his life. Jake, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. I don't know how to reach out to you. I don't know how to show you I care. But I'm going to keep trying and keep walking. Because no matter what, that day is extremely special to me and so you. I love you very much. To see grown-ups like that made me realize that parents had to go through it. You know, they're just like us. They're just teenagers like us. Words as weapons build huge walls, put us in jail. But there's an option to that, and it's words as keys that unlock doors. Words as keys that unlock doors. Those kind of words don't start with dis. Most of those kind of words start with N, E-N, like engage, enhance, encourage, enable, enrich, enfold, encircle, even energize. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Words that grace us, words that affirm us, are just as easy, those keys are just as easy to use as weapons instead of weapons. And when we affirm from the core out, it shows how we feel about ourselves, not just about you. That's just how it is. Maya Angelou was a poet laureate for the United States. She died at 86 a few months ago. She said this profound thing. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And when you say words that hurt, that's what they remember. When you say words that affirm, that's what they remember because that's what they feel. Just, just think in your mind. Think back, especially when you were a kid, that people who dissed you when you were small, it's hard to get over that hurdle because these are giants and they're like God people, you know, God figures. And then they 
do stuff that cuts you down. It's just you, you start seeing yourself that way. But when you, when you hear people saying things that lift you up, that enhance you, that's what you remember. They've done tests. They've done studies with little kids, first graders, and they'll divide the class down the middle. They're equally intelligent, and they'll start saying to one half of the class, you know, your art's really not very good. You need to step it up, try to keep it between the lines. You need to do this and that and the other, and you really need to have a little better attitude. And this group over here, they'll say, that's just tremendous. What you're doing, that's so good. You're just good. Within a week, within a week, these first graders will be failing. So how do you feel when Jesus says, I have come that you might have life? more abundantly now there's a mission i have come that you can be full of life i think i i hear that and i say oh yeah now we're talking or when he comes and says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden or overworked and i'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light He says, yoke up with me and you'll find out what rhythm is. You'll find out what ease is. You'll find out what it means to carry a burden, but not to carry it alone. What an encouraging word that is. The people in my life who have unlocked my doors have spoken words to me at a particular point in life. I had a conversation three or four weeks ago with a fellow now who runs a huge organization. I hadn't seen him in some years, and we were talking. And he said, do you remember when we first met and you offered me a position when you were at the college where you were? And I said, I think I do. I think we went to this place and, and had lunch. And he said, yeah, and I had sort of tossed it out there as to what I wanted to do. And, I, and you asked me, and I don't remember this conversation, so it's not about me. But he, he said, you just asked me what I needed from you and I said what I need is an opportunity and somebody to believe in me and he said you just looked at me and said I believe in you and he said that started this journey that has turned into this tremendous thing I'm sure there are numbers of people that I didn't say that to that I could have said it to and I missed an opportunity but the, but the fact is that there are people in our lives that unlock our doors with their words. Many of you have heard me say this a lot of times. I was a stutterer when I was young, and I was dating Ruth over there, and we were driving down West Cliff Drive in Santa Cruz, California. I was insecure because I was a stutterer. I'm 19 or 20 years old, and I'm saying, Ruth, you, 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 you probably wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want to keep going with me because I can't talk. And she looked at me and smiled very sweetly and said, oh, really? I hadn't noticed And she was dead serious, and it started unlocking my door and letting me out. I love this story. There was a woman by the name of Mary Ann Bird who wrote this. I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. 
I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade who we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. And finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door over there, covering one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Those seven words changed my life. Words of affirmation that are keys to life. Monday night, in Washington, D.C., I met the prime timers. You all know what the prime timers are. That's that group, 55 and over, who hang out and eat great food and take trips. And they took a trip to Washington, D.C. and Virginia, and uh, Jerry Pippen had asked if there was any chance I could meet them there. And I was speaking in Virginia over the weekend. And so on Monday night, I came up, and they said, could you introduce us to some political types and stuff? And so I, I brought Tony Hall. Tony Hall has been here he came and spoke at CSU campus a few years ago and was in church here. Tony Hall, 22 years a congressman, four years an ambassador. And he came and I asked him to bring his friend John Nakamura. John Nakamura was a Japanese farmer in California that when he was four was put in an internment camp in the Second World War in Arkansas for four years. And John Nakamura and Tony Hall traveled the world together. I won't go into the details, but they told the prime timers this, that John was Tony's prayer partner. And when Tony went to Rome as an ambassador, John and his wife, on his own nickel, went to Rome and lived there and traveled the world. He traveled the world with Tony, and they'd go into meetings with presidents and kings, and they'd sit in the meetings, and Tony would discuss food programs and all the kind of stuff that he's involved in. And John would just sit over there and pray. And finally, the president or the prime minister would say, well, who is he? He would say, well, he's my friend. He's my prayer partner. He said, well, what's that? He said, well, while we're talking, he's praying. That's words. Words to God about you, right? That's what prayer is. Words to God about you. And the, and the president or the prime minister would say, well, what, what is he praying about? And he said, he's praying for you in the name of Jesus. And they said, more often than not, the prime minister or the president would say, Tell me about that. What's that about? The next morning, yesterday morning, this is Wednesday, Tuesday morning, I brought a, brought a retired three-star general to meet with the prime timers. And he's done everything. And I can't go into all the stuff he's done, but his last job at the Pentagon was inspector general for the whole Department of Defense. And now he runs a unit that commemorates the end of the Vietnam War. It's 50 years since Saigon fell in 1974, and it was a long war, and so they're going to take a 10-year commemoration. Those of you here who were in Vietnam, you know how it was when you came home. You got spit on. People did not honor what you did. They honored the people from World War II. They even honored the people from Korea, but not from Vietnam. 
And General Kicklider said the Congress of the United States has declared, along with the President, that that was wrong. We made a huge error in doing that, and we're going to do all we can to correct it. And so he said, we're here to honor you. And I said, anybody here who served in Vietnam or in World War II or in Korea, could you stand up? And about eight guys stood up. And General Kicklider said these words. From a grateful nation, we would like to thank you for your service. And there were tears in the room, and this, this sergeant that he brought with him took little lapel pins around and gave it to each guy, and the general went and shook hands with each one because words of affirmation unlock your door and let you out. For six years, I would go several mornings a week to the office of a United States senator because before office hours, he would have a devotional time in his office. And we'd read scripture, talk about it, and pray. And at the end of every session, he would say these words from Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you say those words with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What would happen if we said those words twice a day? Let's say them again. It'll come back up on the screen here. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. One more time. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. There are two things that last forever. Your spirit. One of these days, your body will fall off and they say, Harry died. Don't you believe it? Scripture says we get a new one down the road. Your spirit lasts forever. And the thing that feeds that spirit we, we saw the words when Pastor Brent was sharing the text, that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is what feeds my spirit. When we read this, when we memorize this, when we sing this, it gets into our spirits, and that's what is nurtured. What's in a word? Life is in a word. By the words I choose when I talk to people, I give them life or I give them death. I disengage them or I engage them. I disease them or I bring them comfort. That's how it is. My prayer is that I, Richard Foth, I'll let you pray your own prayers for you, that I, Richard Foth, will have will let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in his sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We're going to close in prayer. Please remember on your way out that there's an offering back there and you give through this congregation to the work of the Lord. But would you stand with me and let's ask God to help us because we may not, according to James, we may have a huge amount of trouble controlling our tongue. But His Spirit in us helps us with that. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for these, your dear people. Thank you for the privilege, the joy of being together.
of singing your word, of hearing your word, and in some ways of being your word out in the community. May our words bless people. May our words bring life to people. Because you do. You are the resurrection and the life, and you've chosen to live in us. Help us to let you out every day. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.